Hello, I'm Hannah Jenna. And I'm Rachel Johnson, and welcome to Before and After, a body image podcast. We are here to discuss our ideas, perceptions, and beliefs about how we look and how we see others. We'll be looking at research and trends in the world of fitness and nutrition, as well as looking at our own biases related to body image and busting some persistent myths that abound in advertising and on social media. We hope to reach and captivate audiences of all ages and gender. So please help us out by subscribing and sharing. And if you like what you hear, we would very much appreciate you leaving us a review. Happy listening. Hello, everybody. Episode 11, because we're a legit podcast now. We are so much further than legit now. We're past 10. On our way to 20, and I still haven't found that Google statistic of what that makes <laughs> us, but more legit than ever. Um, as ever, thank you for coming back, listening, tuning in, and exciting news today. We actually have a guest, so you don't just have to listen to me and Rachel. <laughs> We've been talking about having guests every episode. We're like, we're going to have a guest about that. We have finally fulfilled that promise. We promised you a guest. We have given you a guest. Welcome to the show, Layla. Hello. So, uh, Layla, just so you guys know, we'll, we'll do a little intro imminently. Uh, Layla is a wonderful, awesome, amazing lady who goes to the same gym that Rachel and I go to. That's where we all met. Um, she's an athlete, a mom, a writer, a crazy, smart, intelligent PhD person, um, probably lots of letters after her name, <laughs> and I'm not doing justice, and super fun, vibrant human being. Absolutely. Did I miss jo any good description? Uh, joyful, I feel like. Whenever joyful. whenever I hang out with Layla, I feel like it is just joy. that. Aww. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And Layla very much goes along with what we keep telling ourselves, wear the damn shorts. I know. I am really looking forward to actually talking to her about wearing the damn shorts yeah. because yeah, she, she wears shorts in the gym. I do not. I, I want to be like Layla. And I always think, <laughs> actually, Layla, when I think about you, I always think of you like, you arriving for like 6 a.m. classes or 5.45 a.m. classes. And the first thing I would notice would be like whatever crazy cool high top shoes you were wearing for that, <laughs> for that day. Um, so yeah, a couple of things before we dive into Layla. Uh, had a few entertaining moments this week that I just wanted to bring up because of stuff we've talked about. I actually went to see a doctor for the first time voluntarily <laughs> since I've lived in America. <laughs> the guy was like... Um, so when was your last annual? I was like, when I was a baby? I don't know. <laughs> Luckily, when someone else made humor. me do it. That's and so, you know, like when you go to the doctors, you have to get on their freaking scales. Now it wasn't even like lunchtime. It was like late morning, but I'd eaten breakfast. I was fully clothed. I'd had lots of coffee. It had water. So I get on the scale and it says like 144, which is point something, which was about four pounds more than the last time I got on a scale. And even though my rational brain is like, yeah, that's not accurate. And even though I coach people through this and we talk about it every podcast, I still walked out of there and I, I was driving home and I was like, I'm not going to wear my shorts. Oh, yeah. the number changed like, your fashion choice. It like bit me in the butt really hard. I was like, what mm. the heck? I know that's not like right. And even if it was, who cares? It's fine. Yeah. So um, I let it actually get to me for a couple of days. And then I was so annoyed at myself. 
it wasn't even a particularly warm day, but I put on the damn shorts and I wore them. And I was like, <laughs> focus on something you did today at the gym, not on what you look like. And then of course I did my in-body scan because it's been a month since the last one. And I've actually dropped some body fat and gained a little bit more muscle mass. And I weighed exactly the same as I did a month ago when I got on the in-body scanner, which is exactly four pounds less than I was three days ago at the doctor's surgery. So <laughs> needless to say, <laughs> If you ever have to go to a doctor or anywhere where they insist on taking your weight fully clothed in the middle of the day when you're full of food and drink, don't even think about that number. That's it's true. Silly. Most of the time you got shoes on. Speaking of cool high tops, those things weigh at least a pound each. But um, yeah, that's also why it's true. It's like you need to, if you're going to track your weight, which member, member listeners, I'm not tracking my weight anymore. I'm not weighing myself every morning. Um, but when I do get back to it, it is, it's important to like get on the same scale. Mm-hmm. every time so that you don't have to like agonize but I will I want to say so everyone knows Hannah may have struggled with these things but she did do a thing which was text me and say I'm not listening to all the lessons that we've given people on our podcast and I reminded <laughs> her that actually you are you're like reaching out you texted me and told me those thoughts and so that's that's the thing so we're gonna we're gonna probably talk more about that in another podcast too the sort of community thing but you reached out you said hey I'm feeling this way and I was like you're good. So no one's immune. <laughs> and for some reason, like after I got that in my head, I started obsessing over my knees. <laughs> my oh, our listeners do. I mean, I hope everyone remembers Hannah's dreams about having <laughs> saggy, saggy old knees. Um, that's, that's awesome that that is going to be a recurring theme now. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. I, I mean, I think that's absolutely wonderful that you were vulnerable to, you know, the same I mean, that you identify with the same, we're all human. We all have these thoughts, huh? We absolutely absolutely do. No matter how many times you might talk other people off the ledge, no matter how much you may study, like how I'm currently studying for precision nutrition level two, like master class in coaching. And like, we just were sent some video stuff to watch. And one of them was about you are not your brain and how to turn these thoughts that come into your head and tell you something to make, to realize that it's just my brain. It's like a random muscle spasm, which is not going to last forever. It's just some weird thing that's happening to you. The brain also does these kind of crazy weird spasms and spits out messages that are (laughs) silly. That's a great analogy. Like I, yeah. When you have like the weird muscle thing, you can't control. It's like, you're right. Sometimes your brain does that. And it's like, you know, you wouldn't look at a muscle spasm and go, Oh God, for the rest of my life, my arm's going to be shaking. (laughs) (laughs) Just like those thoughts in your head. Like when you have these stupid thoughts, just be like, you can actually say to yourself, I was saying to somebody yesterday, like it doesn't matter how, like whatever works for you. Maybe you write that thought down on a piece of paper, like, you know, your butt is lumpy or something, whatever it is. It's like, or your knees are saggy. You can write it down, screw that piece of paper up and physically throw it in the trash can. Or just like visualize, I like, I'm more of like a visual person. So visualize that thought being like scrunched up or stamped on and got rid of, and then be like, yeah, that's, that's not me. That's just a random thought. Cause we kind of think that like what goes on in our head is like, that is, that's us. And you know, it is in there somewhere deep down, but just think how many messages are flying around your brain. So every now and again, some kind of funky ones are going to fly. I think everyone's had that experience, right? Like I'm thinking, I'm thinking of, you know, when I was like 10 and I got my heart broken and someone was like, definitely burn that love letter that he passed you after like third period, right? Like you gotta, so I like that. Write it down. You were 10. Well, I I guess. (laughs) 
I mean, it was from another fellow nerd. Um, Still counts. So, um, <laughs> but either way, he broke my heart and then I had to burn the letter. So. <laughs> burn a love letter at the age of 10. Oh my goodness. Good Lord. <laughs> Right, right. Layla's just sitting here laughing at us now. Let's anyway, get back to Layla. Layla's like, wait, I'm a guest here. Where do I come in? So, Rachel, this is totally like ad hoc on the spot. I'll start because I just Ooh. made this up. Oh, we're gonna do the I am gonna just I'm gonna start with the first question. And I'm really bad at these, Layla. These are meant to be like quick fire, easy oh, to answer questions yeah. for you where you don't have to think about the answer. Just spit out whatever comes out, the first thought. But I, I did that to Rachel in her episode. And she and asked I, hard I ones, hard like questions. ones where I was like, I literally can't answer that quickly. Like, okay, <laughs> so I'm going to start really easy. Okay. okay, Layla, what is your favorite city? Oh, see, they're all that even that can be hard. <laughs> so I'm a multidimensional sort of kind of, I think, horizontally. And I usually don't have one favorite anything because I like it depends on where and for what reason. Oh, what am I, what am I doing? What am I doing? So if I am like, for example, my favorite city to, uh, watch, um, go to, to have an artist to watch the arts and watch cinema, maybe New York, my favorite city to, um, Rome, <clears throat> you said city, right? My favorite city to eat. Okay. Probably Paris. Uh, my favorite city to party, maybe London. My favorite city to, sorry, yeah, for Play real. Play into your audience. Play into your audience. Yep. And um, there's got to be LA in there for some reason, just because it's home. Okay. Okay. Okay, you got to try. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this easier. Um, and we'll we'll use one for Hannah. Coffee or tea? Oh, coffee. See, that's easy. A little, there, a little too much. Like, a little too much coffee. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Here's an easy one. Sweet or salty? Both. Oh. Food? So, Both. 50-50. Both. Um, favorite color? At the moment, purple, because I, I read that it's a high vibrational color <laughs> in your mm. vibration. Was, high vibrational. That was okay. going to be my first question. <laughs> See, right against your instinct. Okay. Um, yeah, one more each. Let's see. Favorite food in Egypt, where I'm from, we eat something called ful madamis, fava beans. We cook them with, in any many ways. I like them boiled, salt, lemon olive oil depending on my level of fat but i probably shouldn't have any olive oil uh, given recent uh, awareness and some lemon and garlic uh okay then i'm going to i'm going to listen to what you said earlier and give you a little bit of a directed question then uh favorite movie that is a comedy i'll narrow the category so you don't have to have like 18 different favorite movies well, i wouldn't say favorite but just to say one that pops in my head okay um oh gosh <laughs> all right mean question <laughs> i would not be able to answer that i know it's, it's yeah i mean if you take me back to high school it would be monty python oh oh the series playing the audience the whole series right. the whole series all john it. cleese one of one of my favorites i, I mean but since then you know, there's an Arabic, okay, oh, and there's an Egyptian movie called uh, It's uh, 
uh, terrorism and kebabs. It's a really I was funny say, story. I was like, really about kebabs? That's, uh, <laughs> it really is about kebabs. It's this really kebabs. It's this really funny story about this rant, this really normal Egyptian guy who ends up going crazy trying at, at the very bureaucratic um, state uh, place in Cairo, tries trying to get something done. Very simple. He ends up making a fiasco, and he gets they all the police come, and he's like holding the place hostage, and he's just they're like, "What do you want?" He's like. They're like, what are you asking for? And he doesn't even know. He's like, kebabs. <laughs> I just want kebab. Oh <laughs> Anyhow, God, it's a really funny story. It's famous. Uh, were you, tell us a little bit about like um, your upbringing. Were you actually born in Egypt? Yes, I was born in Alexandria, Egypt. And how long did you live in Egypt for? And when we went back and forth until I, we first immigrated a few when I was two, three, and then we went back when I was every summer, and then we till I was nine, and then we lived there for a few years. But the permanent move was 12. And how often do you go back now? I was there February 2020, but that was for a show um, for work. Um, it's been harder and harder, but I go every so often. Do you often. still have a family over there? Mm-hmm, totally everybody except for the immediate family awesome what's what's the most famous thing about alexandria it's library okay the, i was just i was just curious what? if i remembered that correctly that there's a really <laughs> famous like the historical library of alexandria <laughs> it's library it was it was uh, in the lighthouse i would say so there's been a lot written about the alexandria lighthouse um, the ancient uh, library of Alexandria had a, a lot of ancient knowledge theoretically and was burned down and w- there was a brand new um, res- res- new library built um, in Alexandria about 20, 10 years ago recently, sort of to recreate that whole culture, but <clears throat> yeah, very different. There's a new one, brand new one, and there was the ancient one that burned down in ancient times. I feel like that, that that might not be super nerd because people who have seen like the third Indiana Jones might also ask that question. <laughs> okay. Which was shot, which I believe some of that was shot in yeah. not, was not shot in Egypt or was shot in, in Petra. Well, the ending scenes were shot or in, in Petra. In, jo- in Jordan. In Jordan. Yeah, in-, in Jordan. I knew that. Okay. See, okay. You know See, that too. Eastern nerd. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Layla. <laughs> so Layla, how would you, if you could have five words to describe hmm. Layla, which Uh-oh. five words would you use? And again, I want you to kind of like come up with them rather than think fast about it. Uh, happy, uh, creative, loving, um, generous, um, and uh, determ- committed. committed. <laughs> I was like well, some sort of determined, committed. Okay, determined. yeah, De- determined, committed. There's this, there's this part of me that just can keep on going. I like committed because it it means determined, but also could imply a little bit of crazy, depending on which version. <laughs> yeah. Committed. A little insight into Layla: culturally diverse, energetic, committed, happy, generous, pretty awesome human being. But of course, this is before and after, and we are here to discuss all things body image. So. Uh, what I'm really interested to ask you, Layla, because Layla is a mom as well, which is super cool. So you've had, obviously, your teenage years, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. 
you've had kids, you've gone through all that process. So body image, the way you view yourself, the things that your body has done over the years, like you've had experiences that Rachel and I can't speak to because neither one of us have had kids or gone through changes like that. So how would you describe the Layla in her 20s in terms of like body image and confidence and like were you aware of body image or just focused on other things at that time? Tell us about that. Okay, well, I'll say, you know, let's, we have to start earlier, unfortunately, okay. because I don't know if this is true for all generations and all women at all times, but uh, I think I was became aware of my body as a girl and a young girl. Um, I remember being aware that I was wanting to lose weight and that I was pudgy because I wore the hefty pants as opposed to the, there were different size pants. There were hefty and I, and there was regular and there was slim fit. And I wore the hefty. They were hefty. called hefty. Is this, is this or, in Egypt or is this in the States? Oh, in the States. I had no body. Okay. We'll talk about the cultural thing. I had with it. I felt much more comfortable with my body in the Middle East because I didn't have any of these labels or these categories. It's here that I, it was in the United States that I, it, I became uncomfortable. And it was, I really now recognize that it was the media and the way we look at girls' bodies in this country. It's girls and it starts young. Um, and I remember, I actually looked at a di my diary, which I happened to find of that time and then it, I talk about being on a stupid diet. I was on a diet at age 10. I mean, I don't even know what, I, I don't even know what I'm I talking about. I was a diary from that. I had that. I have a diary and it said, I was just, look, just looking at it. Where did I put it? Oh, here it is. I'll show it to you. I have, I actually, yeah, 1981. Okay. So there you go. And, and it has, I, I started a, what are we, what do we, I, re, I was recording my, what I ate and how many calories everything was. Whoa. At age uh -huh. 10. Uh-huh. And is this yeah. like, did, did you write about like ha, your, your mom having to buy you like hefty labeled clothes? Like, is that no, a label I, in no, the store or? I, I thought it was in the, you look, go look in, in late seventies, what it was like early eighties in the United States. Things were different. So I don't remember that that specifically I just see little bits I just know that I was conscious of my body at a very young age and so by the time I became an adolescent my body grew really quickly like I, I grew boobs and hips and 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 men started looking at me at a very young age and I didn't know what to do with it because I was athletic I was the girl in shorts I was a little kid who played with I would go out and play soccer with the boys outside all day I was tough I was the girl who was catching the balls, who was number one on the tetherball court. And I could, you know, I didn't, I didn't get off the court. I loved athletic play. I was good at it. It's good. At, I was, I was the first to be picked, you know, that kind of thing. And then I got boobs and hips and I didn't know how to move in my body. And I stopped. I got shy. You stopped so playing sports. My, I pretty much stopped playing short sports. Wow. As I became aware, like that you were going through these experiences and these feelings, or was it something that you, you know, you suddenly had this body and you were like writing this diary and was it something that you would <clears throat> yourself? Oh, she knew my mom was, she tried my mother, you know, so my mother's the, I'm the oldest of five. I have two sisters and two brothers and she's the immigrant, not I. 
Uh, she, she's a powerful person and she really did. She's a, you know, she was very um, well-educated and uh, a feminist in her own right. So is my father, I think, and, in many ways. And so, um, you know, she really tried to make me feel good. Like she had her own body images too. She was very aware of her own. She's got her own stuff. So she's very aware of it and tried to share it with me. It was very much like a, you know, trying, she, you know, it's tough. It's tough for all of us, but I was going through adolescence and also, you know, at the time I became less interested in sports just naturally. I mean, it wasn't, I just stopped playing sports and I started becoming a nerd <laughs> and I went into school and I was getting good grades and that's all that mattered. And I was getting good grades and I was doing fine. And I started doing, I moved into performance. And so I've always been interested in the body is what I'm trying to say. Since I was a little girl, I moved from athleticism to performance. And then I, um, after all of that in my twenties, what I was, was, uh, that was when I was a personal trainer. <laughs> I did an, I did my national, was it the national NASM? Yeah. Yeah. NASM. NASM. I passed that in God knows when I was a spinning instructor and I took an exam with Johnny. God, I forget the name. The very first um, spinning it was called spinning. He's the guy who coined the term spinning Johnny something. And you had to get certified with his classes. And I did that. This is in the, when I was in my twenties. Were you wearing so like I, fabulous Lycra brightly colored outfits? Right. Depending on the year, was this like bright neon leotard time or? It was in the like late nineties, I guess, by this point. Um, late 90s, I still have it. The, the bright neon. Yeah, no, that was, yeah, no, this is late, later getting into my, as we grow. So I, you know, as I was in school, I didn't really know, um, you know, my, my, my work was always creative and I was always doing creative work and my career was evolving over the decades. But what really was a, has been a, a thorough line was just this desire to move my body and to keep excelling and learning how to move in my body in a way that gives me freedom without harm or suffering. I wanted to be able to move and play and it's the athletic it's, it's athleticism I think athleticism teaches you so much not just uh body care but also play and how to be light and how to and how to be with each other you know the, the sportsmanship that we learn is so beautiful and I think it's a wonderful thing that we can carry outside of the gym or the whatever or the playing field or the courts or whatever it is that you're in in whatever sport it may be the 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 ocean. <laughs> um, I have always associated spinning with suffering. So it's interesting for me to hear you say that maybe this phase in your life, uh, yeah, taught you about being free from suffering through exercise, but that's just my experience of spinning. But like question for you. So like at, at 10 years old, you're, you've started a diary and, you know, talking about going on a diet and being conscious <laughs> of what you look like and what you're putting into your body. By the time you've now become a fitness instructor and you're able to like influence other people's kind of journeys along that similar path are you still feeling kind of conscious about what's going into your body and what you look like or you're just like yeah I'm a spin instructor I'm good yeah oh, no let me say I so each moment of these changes in the way I uh, look at my body had some sort of complete breakdown <laughs> before it so I actually had a big breakup with a boyfriend 
uh, that made put me got me sick and I actually ended up with hepatitis B and I was ill for a year and I had to do a lot of healing and sort of re-looking at what I ate and the, from there that's how I ended up in personal training how <laughs> I ended up back into take care of my health so I got sick hmm. so I was getting sick that pushed me into that direction and then so then the years passed and I really got, I started getting into yoga and I have to say, I think yoga has been the best thing I've been doing since I've started in 2000 and it's 2021 and I haven't stopped in 21 years. I continue to, I believe that you can even, you know, I, you can have a daily practice of yoga. That's just even simple meditation. You know, it's, it's, I don't mean asana in, a, in, in the very rigorous way. I do mean yoga in the broader way, but it's been 21 years, right? Um, and so that really helped me. Um, and then the big shift into motherhood was the next big shift. And that was um, just the best thing ever, but was also has been the hardest. How, <laughs> I can imagine. how old were you when you had your first kid? Uh, 36. And how did you feel about, so I'm assuming, you know, you've prior to that, you found yourself to a reasonable relationship with your body. You've like, you've done yoga, you've done spinning, you know, you've got a little bit of life experience and then you become pregnant and your body suddenly goes through all of these changes. Were you someone who was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm growing a baby. Right? Some people are like this born so to be pregnant awesome. and they oh, thrive. Like, oh my goodness. What is happening here? I was the, oh my goodness person. So all the work that I had done the, the decade prior from, you know, whatever the work was in my twenties. And I thought I was, you know, fit, you know, I was yoga, yoga, I was doing all this stuff and I was so proud. And then I, that just put me back to point beyond to zero into negative again. And I felt I was, had very bad self-image, poor self-image wasn't happy, wasn't happy after, you know, even after the baby's born, had to be, oh, I have to get back into shit, you know, and I was this bad talk, bad self-talk and getting myself back. Then I had a, then I had twins How <laughs> and, was then, <laughs> and, then, and then it got worse. What was mm -hmm. the gap between baby one and twins? Uh, five, five and a half This is years. how you know we're not moms, by the way, baby one and twins. You could, you could tell us their names too, if you want. <laughs> Baby, yeah, I'm like all abstract about this. Some people might not want kids' names on the podcast. True, that's in between oh. first child and twins. Had you gotten to feeling good about yourself again? You're feeling like having a good relationship with your body image. Were you happy, or was during that entire time after giving birth the first time, did you struggle with what your body now looked like? No, actually it took me a year or so and I got back and I was so happy again and life was good. And I got even deeper into the yoga and the running. I was running and doing yoga and woo, life was great. Then I turned 40. <laughs> and then, um, you know, meanwhile, my career, I was finishing my, my doctorate and um, getting this job uh, and I had the twins and I was 42. And that just was the hardest to recover from. And here I am. They are seven. I'm still recovering. <laughs> I mean, really, what I this time though, it was different. The, the my body really did suffer. It was really tough having twins. That's no joke. At 42, 
and I gained a lot of weight and they were both um, uh, breech, which means feet down, mm-hmm. head up, two of them, which wow. means C-section. So I had a C-section and that's no fun. And that means tearing the abs. And I, and then the recovery was tough. And so um, I, a lot happened and basically I ended up moving uh, to Santa Barbara, getting this job, started in 2015. By November, 2015, I was at Innate Gym trying to figure out how do I fix this situation? And, you know, this time though, coming to Innate, my, I had, you know, at least this lifetime of lessons that there's no quick fix and that, you know, building muscle was important. And I didn't know, you know, I had been spent, I realized at that point that I had spent so much time just trying to fit an image and not taking care of the body that kept repeatedly breaking down and getting harder and harder. And I was at that point, just like, I just care about my body now. And I have these beautiful girls. I have three girls. And as you become a mom, at first you don't realize it, but slowly you realize that they learn everything from you. Yep. You start watching, Oh my God, that you start seeing yourself in a way in the most love, you see yourself with love because you love your children. Unfortunately, more, most, most of us love our children more than we love ourselves or have loved ourselves. Yeah. We've never given that much love to, the, to, to that observation of ourselves, you know? And you see to your child and you think, oh shit. Like, oh, fuck. And you know, deep in your soul, you know, the only way out is to make the change yourself because they modeling is the only way of teaching is the way we teach. It's the way you coach. It's modeling your behavior. You want your child to have a healthy, healthy self image. I have to change my self image that I clearly have been working on maybe too hard. Maybe I need to relax a little bit for a really long time. I've gone through several evolutions. Um, There are no easy answers. As Hannah was saying from the very beginning, you can become a coach of nutrition (laughs) and you can still fall down these moments. We're human. We need, um, so it's it's, it's always a little bit of work. So, but the kids, honestly, they are the best. That's why I say, you know, I understand when you fall in love with somebody and you say, about that person you fall in love with, that they make you a better person. It's really clear in that moment. Like they make me a better person because you want to be a better person for them. And I think like, it's, it's, I mean, I know like in maybe episode one or one of our really early episodes, we both kind of like, we're just chatting away and like referencing things that we had heard from our own mothers. Yeah. Who are like, oh yeah. Without even thinking about it, we're maybe looking in the mirror. Like my mom hates her, her hips and she would always like stand in her stomach. She'd always stand there just like, kind of thumping them and being like oh mm-hmm. god I'm just like this is fat yeah, isn't that interesting and I-, I noticed that I do the same thing if I'm not like catching it I will stand in front of the mirror and I will like like grab hold of my hips in exactly the same way that I watched her do for so many years that that is so I'm, I'm like thinking about it so my mom um my mom has fantastic legs she's had great legs she's a runner um she's always like been you know 10ks marathons that's what I always remember my parents doing growing up was like training for races and my mom had that um 
I mean, it's not really a thigh gap, but it's that like gap, like your quad and your knee where like, if you're really like sculpted muscles, but also really lean, you kind of get this gap above your knee. Um, and I always remember that because my mom just had these great legs and she still has great legs um, at her age now. Um, but I also remember like, you know, yeah, she would complain about her middle a lot, like her, her waist. And that was often, I remember when she would talk about it, it would be in relation to having kids. So not that like she was blaming us for <laughs> middle that maybe was, like, a little saggy skin, a little fat that you can't lose. But it is funny when you think, when you said that about your mom, Hannah, like I now look in the mirror and sometimes I look at my belly like that. And, and I haven't had kids, so I don't have the excuse, I guess, if that's the excuse, but, but it is really interesting, right? I mean, we have, we all have memories of our moms doing something like that for right. better or worse that sort of affects the way we look at our bodies. And it's like, I'm not a mom, but like my equivalent experience is being a coach. Like when I make comments about my own body, like I may comment on my body and that never, ever means that like, if, if you're any bigger than I am, I'm totally judging you. That's like not the case at all. It's just all like me looking at me in that moment and like having this experience. And I've caught myself a few times where I'll say something that's like negative or just silly. Yeah. And then I'm like, wow, perspective. Right, and you have to worry like who, who's listening? Like, who heard who me just, say that? Like, yeah. Yeah. Who heard that? And then what effect does that have on them because if I'm nearby somebody I'm working with who's like maybe at the very beginning of their journey and they're like not confident in their mm. body image and I as somebody who's worked pretty hard on things for a few years who maybe they look at me and go that's what I want to look like and I just totally slated my own image right right and then they're like, like oh I maybe I oh don't gosh want yeah but like you said it's a responsibility it is a responsibility. It's a big yeah. It's a responsibility. I mean, being a mentor or a coach or a teacher of any kind or a parent, you know, um, they're all different. They're all the same in the sense that you are you are taking a responsibility for nurturing and helping the development of another. And that's a responsibility. Not everybody and it take and then, you know, okay, so it's a responsibility, but you know, we're human at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, so Layla and I have worked together in group nutrition coaching sessions in the past, and we're about to start embarking on a journey one-on-one -on -one to uh, really, because Layla's, so Layla's putting in the, the effort and the time and the, like, the commitment to doing work on herself in like many areas in life to just, you know, really dial in that love for yourself and, you know, treating yourself with respect and being as healthy mm -hmm. as you can be. Um, I know that a lot of people coming out of 2020 also feel the same way. Like, actually, I really need to start taking care of myself so that I've got the strength and the health and like the mindset to be able to deal with life when shit happens. Um, but you sort of mentioned like you had your kids and you have this immense amount of love for your kids. And it's like the focus is now like on the kids, but you also now kind of like realizing absolutely, but I've got to put in some effort for me too. I've got to make sure that I am walking the walk and that I am a truly living, breathing example of who I want you to be in the future. So exactly. tell me a little bit more about like what sort of pulled the trigger on, wow, Layla, you've got to actually invest in yourself here. Well, there's a, I guess it's not one thing, it's always a series of things, but um, so 
instead of mentioning the trigger, I'll mention the the I'll mention something else. Because the trigger or break are always a breakdown of some sort, right? It's like a moment of that you don't that doesn't make you feel good. And um, when you're not really being your highest self and you know that you could be better and think situation could be better. For example, like I was, I was taking notes. So let's just think about the body again. And Hannah's example about going to the doctor. And there are these numbers on a scale. So there's always the quantitative part of the body that we put that have so much impact on how we think and what we perceive. And it's really helpful. I mean, I'm not to, not to downplay the quantitative, but we all know that the scale and those numbers are not so exact. They don't really like point to, they're not so exact. We all know that, we know that, we know that, we know that so well, but it still has an impact. So why does it have an impact? It's not that the numbers, it's the story around the numbers. It's the story. It's our narrative that we give to these there. It's the story and the numbers together that matter. We think that it's just the numbers. Um, and so I've had, I had a bit of a, a, a moment where I started getting a, a, a lot of anxiety over um, uh, a bunch of things. And I started real, I, I realized that I needed to switch the story that there was no reason for me to have this anxiety. There were, I was having needless fear in a situation. There was no reason for me to have fear, but I was in fear and I had to really break it down. So what was going on? Well, I have to change how I think about my body gaining five pounds. What is that? What is, so to do that, I think we have to do a few things. One is we have to disengage from the stories of who we are. And that's super, super hard. And the key is to observe yourself without making a judgment. And the second is then we sort of have to, we have to sort of detach from the patterns of our past and this habit, you know, our daily habits really is how we get to that. And then I think um, really live from the heart, which is what we, which is why we have each other. And you guys, you guys really inspire me. This podcast is a place to live from the heart. I think you guys really work at that you know, um, living from the heart and we're, I'm not the only one who does that you do. And there's many of us. And so where am I going? What am I, what was your question? How did I get there? All I was trying I, to say, I, 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 yeah, I know, <laughs> we're like mesmerized. By, like I literally like Layla, I, I literally just, I'm taking notes as if you are like college <laughs> professor Layla. Like I just wrote down, like, it's I don't know how it's around the numbers that matter. Like I want to remember that phrase. That was, that was amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is what, I mean, this is, this is deep actually into my, my scholarship. So like, even in my book, um, one of the most important things I, I try to explain is the, um, the Brit is making a bridge between quantitative and qualitative analysis. It is so important. And I don't know why we in education, higher education and in, in academia and in, in the world, why don't we get that? It just is so obvious. Like, why do, why do we have to stick with just the numbers or just the story? No, you got to like, A, you have to know the facts. You got to know if you are at 40% body fat <laughs> or if you're at like 25% body fat, which is lovely for some people. Or at, you know, um, and <laughs> or at 13, and I don't know who that is. Wow. That's, but like, so, <laughs> wow, wow. So yeah, you know, or you can flip those numbers. 
And that would be my goal, <laughs> frankly. I don't know. I, I so feel like, like, well, I don't know. My I point like is, to be honest, like, 13 has as many considerations and things to talk about as 40 does, right? Like neither exactly. of those numbers is better or worse. Thank you. They are just different. Wow. Um, so I feel like, different. right. I, I mean, cause you, you actually listed, you almost listed, I guess, all of our body fat percentages in that, in that little, like, oh. and they're all different. Like for, for, for females, you could say that arguably 13% body fat is less healthy than Right. There's an excess of 30. There are things that happen at that number for sure that are, yeah. Stories around the numbers are as important as the number. I think so. There's got to be context. There's a story. There's a context for everything. And numbers out of context is are dangerous. We can just look at the internet. Yeah. And I mean, you'll read my, you'll read my book. I mean, I mean, I really think it's just really dangerous. And we have a world that's becoming more and more datafied and quantified. But if you don't have that context, the history, the story, then it becomes dangerous for our social fabric. That's so my that, theory. That made, me, <laughs> that made me think of something, actually, and I love this. I love having an, a, a, an academic on this because that's also my background and I nerd out. But uh, Layla, what you just said, that made me think of a really interesting thing I heard. Um, I am blanking on his name. I think it's Dan Beatner, maybe. Uh, he, he did the Blue Zones book, which is like a study. It was a National Geographic photographer and a researcher who studied places on earth where people live to be over a hundred, but are still thriving and they're called Blue I Zones. Saw. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's this longevity research. Um, but he did a, a talk here in Santa Barbara um, a couple oh. of years ago for arts and lectures at UCSB. And he opened with kind of, you know, getting a sense of who the audience was and what our healthy habits are for longevity. And then he mentioned that over the last like five to 10 years, how many people have like Apple watches and pedometers and all these different things that track and quantify our lives. And I think in, in, I mean, between Hannah and I, it's like, we've done whoop. I have an aura ring. We have Apple watches. (laughs) She's got a Fitbit on right now. And it's like the point that we have quantified health Mm -hmm. and fitness right? Like absolute people are always tracking their steps, doing all these things. And yet since the advent of all of those tools that help us quantify things, our lives have not gotten qualitatively healthier as a nation. So like he was looking at American health Mm -hmm. indicators, so we can quantify all we want, but it doesn't, right? Like there's, there's always more than the numbers for, for it to really matter. So I think that, yeah, that's, that's a fascinating (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I really think it's powerful. So like, you know, I wish if Andrew were here and I, he caught me doing this once. Um, owner of the gym. Oh, owner of the gym we go to, that's who she's referencing. Andrew, okay, here's a story. He, he caught me in a story of myself with me in the pull-ups. And cause I, you know, one of my goals at the gym, I've been there for five years. I think I'm trying to get one pull-up in. She's going to sneeze. A strict pull-up as opposed to one and um it's a challenge for lots of people it's a challenge for me and so i was and i want to do it um and so i i called it i said something like can i say a bad word in here yeah i think we've already said multiple bad words go for it i mean unless it's worse than the ones we've already said i i said i won one i can i can never do that i want to do that effing pull up 
And then he's like, oh, well, with that, with that attitude, mm, like, you know, I don't know what he said, but he called me on it. Like, and I remember thinking, well, with that attitude, no, you're not like, do you know, I have to change my narrative. Like you can't be like, go up to a thing and be like, oh, I can't do this. Well then no, you can't <laughs> like, or, or if you say about yourself, oh, I'm this, or I'm that apologize for yourself before you even, I mean, there's none of all of that talk that we do, all of that narrative. We got to just really disengage with those stories of who we think we are like that because our, uh, uh, because once we let go of that, then we can be our true selves and then we can observe that. And then we'll have a new story about ourselves. So I'm intrigued to it. ask the question. So like we hadn't seen you for really a year. Like when you first came back into the gym to do take part in the CrossFit Open this year. Yeah. That was in March, right? Yeah, not too long ago. So we saw your march and everyone was like, wow, Layla's looking amazing. And you got the recognition comments that we were talking about in the last, in the last podcast, right? You, you got a lot of yeah. recognition and from folks. I did. It was obvious that since I last saw you, you had lost a considerable amount of weight. So in terms of your narrative, um, has that changed? Do you look at yourself differently? Now you've started to like lose some weight and, you know, see numbers we were talking earlier about numbers on the scale. We we're just talking about numbers then like your number on the scale is different now, but what is the narrative surrounding that? I'm okay. That's a really good question. I think that, so this, I'm beginning to, to look at it right now. Um, I think that one of the good things that came out of the quarantine that I was able to dis it helped me disengage with those, whatever I had going on in my head a year ago. Like it helped all of us. We had to disengage. We all was like shut down. So we all had to disengage with whatever it was we were engaging in. If it was good or bad. Doesn't matter. So some, some good, some bad stuff we get disengaged with, which ended up being healthy for me, not having the same for me, I was able to do that because I used that time, my, I guess, to go back to that little, the little girl in me who loves to get out and play. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get out and play by myself. And I would put my little shorts on. And why do I wear shorts? Because it reminds me of my youth. Because I was the kid in shorts all the time. It was after my youth it. that I stopped wearing it because the boobs and the hips and the blah, blah, blah. So when I put my shorts on, it's just the little girl who wants to play again. Let's go, let's go, get on my big wheel. And I used to get on my little big wheel and go down the steps and do these really- Oh, I had a big wheel. <laughs> Love those things. Oh, hey, yeah. um, I, it's literally, it's like kind of like a tricycle, <laughs> but the, the front plastic really big. It's a plastic, it's all plastic. <laughs> the front wheel's really big. So it's almost, it feels like if a tricycle could be like an off-roading tricycle. I don't know. It was more gotcha. rugged because it was solid plastic. Here, I will look it up. And like Evil Knievel was like really big. I mean, this is the seven, I mean, you know, the seventies. Um, Big wheel. Here you go. It's still at Walmart for $79. Oh my gosh. They still make big wheels. $79. Oh. Well, maybe that's just inflation. I guess that makes sense. I mean, it's been a while. Here you go. I'm putting it in the chat for your perusal. I love it. But um, yeah, you know, so I don't know. There was something, I think it's because I have kids who are, my twins are seven. Again, the blessings of life, you know? Um, so how, what happened? 
yeah, I disengaged in that. I, I know, I mean, I've had enough training and learning. I do know what to do to, to get healthier. And so I started doing things like a, I walked every day, uh, B, I wouldn't let go of the gym despite my, um, I did not want to, I wanted to stay socially distant and quarantined the entire year. So I stayed on the, I took the classes via zoom and I was pretty committed and that really helped. Um, but I, that also slowed me down. And I think I needed that just to have the time to disengage the narrative. It slowed me down. I started walking every day and meditating, doing the, my yoga practice, started being more meditative, which I think was helpful for that narrative thing. And over time, felt good. And, and then the, the, the change, you know, if you start doing these things quickly, your life changes and then you can't go back. So I want to ask you, um, one of your daughters is just hitting her teenage years. You know, we talked about how moms and the language you use and how you treat yourself has a big influence on your daughters. What are you, I mean, it sounds like a terrifying thing as somebody who's <laughs> never going to, people well, who don't I, have I, kids. I never plan to uh... have kids, but it sounds absolutely terrifying to think how on earth you raise a child and in particular a girl. And I only say that because I was a girl and I did a number on myself without access to oh, yeah. social media. I always said if I had <laughs> I'd want it to be a boy cause it sounds easier. Like I, it's too much pressure to like raise a so girl in this world. Think about that. Like you have a daughter who's like 13 and then you have two more daughters who are halfway there to becoming teenagers when your body's going to change and you're going to get noticed. And now kids have the added pressure of, what social media shows them, which is often very unrealistic body images that have been like filtered out or ridiculous plastic surgeries or things that just, just are not even achievable in any kind of natural way. How do you deal with that as a mom and do your best to make sure your kids are set up with the best possible mindset? Or do you not and just hope for the best? <laughs> <laughs> no. This is a really good question. And I wish I had an easy answer. I mean, the first answer is take it all away. <laughs> take it all away. No iPads, no TV. You don't know around. Like that's kind of my reaction. No devices, no internet. Ever. That was, that would, and like, let's go live in nature. Like, so there is that instinct. That's my, that's my instinctual, that's my instinct, honestly. But that's crazy. I can't do that. So. We can't, we're too deep in it. it. It's more work on the parent. You have to be in constant conversation with your children. I watch, we share, we talk. I don't want them to hide things from me. So I teach them to share everything with me, which is exhausting. And, and I, was and say, I hear a scary prospect in and of it's, itself, but yeah. It is. And I've been already had a few moments of like, okay, I got to get through this. And I've told, I've, we, um, we do, oh, what's the word? Censorship. We do censor things and we talk a lot. And um, I try to, there are, there are good groups of, there are groups of um, other families and other kids that I am very, I just stay involved in their lives as much as I can and try to show them other ways of thinking and healthy ways of thinking. And if I see something I don't like, I don't ignore it. I address it. And so, yeah, and pray for the best and 
drink a lot. <clears throat> Just kidding. Um, I've, I've got a follow-up question with this. Cause I, I mean, when I started at the gym a number of, I think at least three years ago, I guess now, I mean, I remember you bringing the girls to the gym and they would like sit off to the side, usually maybe on their iPad or something while you did a <laughs> class at the gym. And then this most recent open, um, it was this really cool moment where you brought your eldest daughter to Mm -hmm. come do some of the open workouts with you. And so in the, I think it was the first week I, I was her judge. I got to count for her and it was really cool. Like you were over in one, you know, area doing your thing, doing the open workout. And she was doing the same workout, like modifying it to her ability. Um, and I just, for me, that was cool to observe. Like these were the kids you brought to the gym, you know, at a younger age, and now they're starting to basically do what mom does in the gym. So like, what was that decision? Like, why did you bring them to the gym rather than leave them at home or right? Like a lot of people leave the, the, our husbands and wives and partners at the gym sometimes trade off. One watches the kid while one goes to the gym or you get a babysitter. Like, how did that decision happen? Like, I want to bring them to the gym with me and then encourage them to work out next to me. I'm going to, I'm going to give the credit to my mom and dad because, and I, and this might be a cultural thing too, because we actually, in in Egypt, we have uh, clubs and families go and it's normal that you, you, the health is something like, I don't want to be selfish about time for good health. I want, that's something that if anything, I want my kids to have good health before me. (laughs) Like it's more important that that, that, that they get it. Right. Of course I have to be healthy too, to sustain, (laughs) but my whole job as a mother is to feed and make them healthy. Like that is ingrained in me. I can't not do that. And it seems very selfish if I were to, it's, how can I be the one doing all the healthy things and my kids suffering and my, and how are they going to learn if they don't learn from me? My parents took with me all the time. My father also, I, I have to say my father, I have to credit my dad who was a professional soccer player in Egypt, grew up very. Oh, and- okay. That's, that, that's a big, Role forgot, I forgot to, I forgot to mention, you forgot to mention that a little bit, <laughs> forgot to mention that. And he, yeah, then he played, he like what, not while I was after I was born, but when, before I was born, he was a professional soccer player. And then he, but he, so he just it was his love and his passion. His work was something that you could tell he just did. Cause he, you know, but he always, he played racquetball. He became like a racquetball YMC he has a YMCA racquetball trophy and trophies he he coached my soccer uh my girls uh the my soccer team when I was 14 so dad 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 took me out to play tennis when I was five dad took me everywhere that's I guess that's where I get my athleticism I played with my dad now I'm beginning oh my god I can't believe I'm daddy (laughs) oh my daddy my daddy my daddy I was his playmate you know and he played with me that's awesome. So, I mean, is, so is that you, you, you mentioned briefly, like in Egypt, there are clubs. So families like they go sports and exercise together. That's a, community. yeah. Like the kids do, you go to, yeah. You, everyone goes, does their own thing. Like we don't do the same thing, but going to a place where we all do different athletic things is a normal thing. I guess like that for, makes sense. A lot of CrossFit gyms, there would be cross, like there'd be a CrossFit class and CrossFit kids maybe would be happening at the same time. Right. Right. You just, you know, comment on what you do with the CrossFit gym. Cause oh. I know CrossFit can be a little, it's a little different than other sports. It's not like going to play a soccer game or something, you know, mama, mama lifts big weights. <laughs> yeah. That's the part that makes me so happy. That's 
my that's what I did that's different from what my parents did like for my parents did all the like you know gender normative stuff and I'm like screw it I want my girls to be strong (laughs) (laughs) I want strong girls inside and out and you know also I've seen other people I've heard it from like you know coach Elise at the gym she's like my mother inspired me to do CrossFit and that stuck in my head that her mom took her when she was a little kid we have so much influence and why not this is you know to be honest crossfit has given me strength has helped me bring back my body i I love it i have a wonderful time it's a great community i think it's a very healthy thing and i want to share it with the people i love most my kids so it just seems normal um it just seems like the the smart thing to do not leave them at home but share with them the thing that i think that is important i I would just i just imagine like if my mom had been in a gym lifting barbells Oh my goodness. I would have taken I, to that so quick. I, I mean, I wonder. Yeah, my parents, they, I they ran. Wanna, I almost want to have daughters now so I can be like, come on, let's go. Let's go. go. My parents yeah. ran a lot and I, I that never made me want to run. <laughs> like, <laughs> because, right, I would be at home watching television. They would go for like a two hour long run after work. So it's not like I was with them ever. So I, I didn't want to become a runner because of that, but my mom was, a, was into aerobics because I did home, a lot of aerobics, ugly toenails too. They like lose their toenails. Ooh, that's right. That's right. That. And I'm like, well, why would I want to do that? Why do I want my toenails to turn black and fall off? I just remember like I was into windsurfing <laughs> at one point and we were on the summer vacation and my mom and like our friend's mom decided to take it like an evening class just to see if they could do it. And I just remember my mom, like in this wetsuit, being in such a bad mood because she had to put on a wetsuit, which clearly. Was <laughs> and she walked down the beach holding the windsurf board, like literally hiding behind the windsurf board, just so mad about the fact that she was like having to wear this wetsuit. And I was like, yeah. So that didn't inspire you to try. It's not your jam. <laughs> it's not your jam. They're like, talking about like the influence that you have on your daughters. And we're like, you know, obviously you're, you're being an amazing example. And I freaking love the fact that you bring your girls to the gym <laughs> to watch their mom lift barbells. And one day, hopefully they'll be doing the same thing and learning that being a strong girl. And like, I look, I'm literally saying that as I look at my hands and they're kind of beat up from the work <laughs> I did earlier in the gym, but I'm, we do not have feminine. I, uh, I love, the hands I right love it. It is feminine, I think, but not it, soft. <laughs> it shows, you know, hard work put in. And, right. humans, and all those other good values that come along with that. But like we've also mentioned that you are human. So have you, like, if, if you ever have a moment where you kind of are playing the role of self-critic or like doubting yourself or something, and you suddenly realize that one of your daughters is like aware, do you go, oh, oh, sorry, no, I didn't mean it. Or do you like take that opportunity to be like, hey, let's chat about what just happened. Like we're humans. We are all going to have these moments of doubting ourselves or wondering if we're good enough and that's okay, but it's noise and let go of it. Like, how do you tackle those situations? You know, usually that's a really good question. Um, Usually when those situations happen, it's because I'm in such a twisted, like I'm already um, not present. (laughs) I'm already wound up and clearly not. So I probably can't just bounce out knowing me because I sit it when something gets affects me I'm not quick to react I'm like (gasps) I hold it and then I like oh shit and I probably most of the time I, I probably pretend like nothing happened 
that's not the best thing to do, but that's the honest answer. Um, because it does happen a lot more than I want it to. Um, and it's constant work. And then I look at them. I don't comment, you know, what, another thing I do is, um, I try to provide, there's this mindfulness, you know, the schools provide these kinds of training now for kids. So there's like mindfulness programming for children and ways of helping you think through self-image um, and they're doing them in high schools. They're doing them in the junior high schools and in the elementary schools. And so when they have, when I get emails about that, I do sign them up. So that is another thing I do. I do try to get them in programs to help them work that through. Um, and I wish I could be the better person and be able to do that all the time. But I, I, to be honest, no, I have to be honest. It's hard. But you're also on your own like personal journey right now, of, like investing time in yourself in like, just kind of really tapping into learning to love yourself and be, being the best version of yourself in many different areas. So mm-hmm. like, no doubt that's also something that comes with that. Um, final kind of question, Ali, I just want to dive down quite real quick because we've obviously, you know, you're from another country. You've lived in a variety of places. You're very culturally diverse and knowledgeable in terms of, women and body image and how they treat themselves and how they present themselves would you say like how how does i'm just gonna say north america because that's where we are right now like how does north america compare to like other places that you have lived or you have experienced in terms of like the pressure on females or anybody really i mean i'm so to say females because i am one yeah um to look a certain way Okay, I'm, I'm really deeply thinking about that. <laughs> she has thinking. It's a tough one. I mean, yeah, I think you mentioned earlier in the podcast of like you in Egypt, you like you weren't as aware of your body as you were when you it was in the States when you remember having that diary or something. Yeah. And to be fair, also, I'm I'm more I'm educated in the in an American educational system. So that might have something to do with it. You know, like I'm not educated in the British or the English or the Arabic system. It's the American system, educational system, which I, I do think has something to do with it. Um, I would answer that like this. I believe the stress is everywhere in the world where there is patriarchy. And I believe that patriarchy is everywhere in the world today. The only cultures that might not have it the same way are indigenous cultures that exists around the world, there are fewer of them. And when I mean indigenous, meaning people who live off of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, cultures that live off of the land, I think have a different perspectives. And that would be like Native American culture. Um, and um, there are other indigenous cultures, Palestinian culture around the globe that are not based on settler colonialism. Sorry, I have to get all like theoretical about this. But to be honest, I think the answer is it's, it's complicated and it's a different kind of stress. It's a different type of pressure, but it exists wherever there is a patriarchal capitalist settler colonial society, which is everywhere on the globe almost today. Except, and one of the reasons, by the way, go back to the blue zone cop thing. I did, I don't, I watched that too. What struck me was that the healthiest places on the planet are three out of the four are islands. Yep, that is true. And it is very, yeah, that's important to note. Isolated from most of 
islands the islands fared better in the global cap last year there's a lot of there's you're right there's something to be said for islands in that so yeah. they're well not your island but <laughs> but like new zealand i was thinking of <laughs> okay maybe not your island sorry <laughs> i'm like loving this line of thought you know so and it has to do there's i mean it has to do with global capitalism today which is built on settler colonial manifest destiny type thinking from the previous centuries. And, the, and you can take patriarchy back before then into feudal society. But my point is that it really wasn't until since we were really better connected to the earth, the land. And I do think it goes back to this indigenous cultures. That's when we had a, a different, uh, when, when, gen, when women had a different we're able to have a different body image. It wasn't, it has to do with our relationship to the land. That's all I have to say. It's complicated. It's a bit more, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of trying to say, do like a year's lecture in one yeah, sentence. I, I mean, I love it. you're getting at stuff that, I mean, this is, this is something, I mean, when we conceived of this podcast, obviously, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can go with body image. And I think you're absolutely right that there are some, <laughs> there are some truly um, kind of, rich, deep kind of academic topics that, um, you know, I think we'll touch on, but I think you're right. Like capitalism, patriarchy, we've talked about things like the fashion industry. There's a lot of different factors that you're absolutely right are very particular to a Western colonial culture. Um, and I think that's, that's, I like want to write all those down and spend some time thinking of like, how can we, how can we dive into some of those topics a little more? Cause, cause you're right. There are things we can learn from other cultures to put into perspective how we um, conceive of body image and how. Well, what I'm trying to say is it's not just, it's not just Western, it's Eastern too. That's what I'm saying. Sorry. It's not just Western, it's Eastern too. It's, it's Eastern, it's in the East, it's, it exists. It's just a little different. It's not better or worse. It's apples and oranges. It's that's why it's very hard. It's equally stressful or equal is really not the word. It's apples and oranges, but they're both suck in different ways. <laughs> and they're both good in different ways. The opposite is not east-west. The opposite is something else. You're right. You're right. It's 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 yeah. Agreed. I love that answer. <laughs> um, okay. As a final kind of closing thing, because uh, we really appreciate your time, Layla. And this has actually been even better of a conversation than I imagined. But like going back to sort of where this all started at the beginning of the podcast, if you could go back as your current self right now and give 10 year old Layla who's writing in her diary about everything that she's putting into her body some advice what would you say to her I know I'm a master at these evil questions that really need some thought you know what I, you asked me one of those like that about my what I would say to my nieces and stuff it's it's a good one though it's a great question just remember that the joy, the, the absolute high feeling, it's all within. It's just within. That you have it all. It's all within you. Don't go. Oh, you don't have God, to, oh I, I like want to cry. Oh, my God. I'm really both tearing up right here. This is ridiculous. Um, that's, that's amazing. Leah, yeah. I want to thank you so much for coming on here. And like, I didn't expect to have tears in my eyes, but like my absolute biggest takeaway from everything you said was the next time I put on the damn shorts, 
I'm going to think about being that kid yeah. outside playing the joy of playing not as a kid. like overwhelmed by thoughts of what the heck I look like just caring about the play <laughs> yep Absolutely. so I want to thank you for that because that's really awesome yeah man we need a big wheel in there we do. We need to get a big wheel somewhere so Hannah can experience. I don't, but no, you know what the sad thing is? They're really made for two or three year olds. I don't think we can fit in it. Have you You're right. We just need to like have a kid. Away. kid be a kid of my, I mean, who knows? Or you can, or, you know, yeah, Dory. <laughs> we, can put Dor- we can put Dory on a big wheel. That'd be amazing. Sorry. Love it. Well, Layla, thank you thank so you. much for joining us, being our first ever guest yes, on the Before podcast. Oh, that's who follows has got a lot to live up to. Yeah, this was wonderful. Well, thank you guys. A, I didn't realize I was the very first guest on this amazing podcast. So that's my honor. And thank you guys for asking the good questions to help me. This was really helpful for me too. I needed this conversation. So, so thank you. Awesome. I see you guys back in the gym. Heck yeah, absolutely will. and bring those daughters of yours let's, yeah. let's get them strong <laughs> thank They're you coming. everybody for tuning in and listening this has been episode 11 and we will see you next time thank you layla ciao